0: Hello, my name is Taylor Marsh, and welcome to Sacred to Psychic. I'm a thriller writer. My women characters live where there are few safe spaces. I delve in the hidden spaces in the mind, surfing dark shadows. These are themes of disruption, especially when sacred outreach taps psychic portals. This is my playground. Here we go. So I finally figured out (laughs) that my dad and my mom, how I knew them, wasn't the same as what my sister and brother knew of my mom and dad. And who they were and the story they were telling about our lives was a lot different when I put all the pieces together in my late 30s. But the thing I realized about mom and dad was the thing that really brought them together were their vices, And Dad had this, Dad gave me two things. First of all, he was an avid reader. And I remember one time, uh, after we moved to St. Louis, I was rummaging around in the attic in the garage. It had a a little loft-type thing. And I saw a box labeled Dad's Books, and I started rifling through it. I saw the Zane Grey, and then I got to a book called Candy, And it was published in 1958. Playboy called it one of the sexiest books ever written. It's about this 18-year-old sexualized girl and all her excursions. Now, this is a G-rated podcast. You can Google it and, and discover all you want. But Dad and his love for books plus his love for music, those are two things that, I just took on. I mean, my—I I just can't even tell you what music means to me. And for my mom, I think she was just so—you uh, know—like any woman in the mid 20th century, uh, out after World War II, she she was forced into into a traditional life. I—I I don't. I think it was very hard. I know it was very hard. I know the history. And by the time she had me, she was super religious. And so I have my dad and his uh, sexual fantasies and proclivities, his love of books. I have a religious mother, and both these people were brought together by, through their vices. Uh, all the pictures I have of my mom and dad are drinking, carousing, dancing, smoking. Uh, mom told me uh, a little story about Ike and Tina Turner because she and dad went to East St. Louis to hear them. Uh, when your parents, when one of your parents tells you a story like this, there's nobody I can't, I can't fact check it, <laughs> but I and I believed her. She she never told lies. But they were party people, and it, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, this is uh, this is something reconciling these two two parts, but having these two two people at that age. Uh, and then going through the 70s, I became a very political person. And I had to be political because of the time I grew up. 1970s is uh, when I graduated from high school and college. And it was Vietnam. And that's been a, a, a big part of my life is that war and what it did to a generation of men, but also a generation of young people and how it informed our eyes. And with feminism and Gloria Steinem, and then you also had the other parts of feminism, a very white part of feminism, because we were not remotely aware of, and I say we, I was so young, but they were not aware of intersection uh, intersectionality, uh, because they were just fighting for themselves. Uh, they, uh, they had tunnel vision. And that's been the part, that's been one part problem of feminism because of how white it is or was. And, but it is, it, it, no, matter, no matter of the faults of feminism, it was so important. And it wasn't a movement, it's, it's just a constant revolution until we get all this right. It's going to take some time. But this really informed my faith. I had all these questions when I was younger, but then when I got of age and, and really started questioning these things and I'm seeing, you know, I'm listening to Gloria Steinem and seeing all this stuff going around and there's Playboy and there's this and, and it's, it's just like my, it's, a, it's like a larger map of my own household. You know, the, the vices, the dirty books, the, the, the man acting out sexually, uh, uh, the woman who is at home and trying to keep everything together. She joins in. On the vices, and her life falls apart. She she has no money. Uh, he left no money. She didn't even know where the checkbook was when my father died. And you see all this, and you see yourself trying to reconcile this, and you see what the you see the concept, You know, I was I was born and raised in Missouri, but as soon as I got old enough, I knew I had to leave Missouri. That this was not the place for me, and it was not only the Bible. You know, clo- so close to the Bible Belt. But uh, this was a very conservative i got a very conservative uh, state, always. Uh, I got in a fight with a, an older woman about the ERA, and, and she she was a woman who didn't drive and thought that the ERA meant that women would have to get jobs and make as much money as men to support themselves, and I just—I didn't have a— I didn't have a retort because I couldn't imagine what, what would be wrong with that and why a man would be against a second income. Now, we're not talking about the economics of capitalism in America and how two incomes don't even do it and one job, each of them, they have two jobs, healthcare and all that. This is not a political Podcast. I remind, even though some of you are come through, come here through my politics. This was a lot to take in, but when I, I got to Alexandria, Virginia, eleven years ago, <laughs> and with my husband, and uh, we made the risky decision that I was going to, you know, work to find my my inner author. I f- I first just obviously went toward uh, nonfiction, fiction And I, the first book I wrote was a political book. And it was after a lot of, it's after I really found part of my voice with the uh, primary election between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in 2008. And I wrote that book, and then we decided to go uh, Padera Press published it. It is now with Open Road um, media. And then I decided to try. this was after 911, I really gave up the notion that I was going to write a book about what do you want in relationships. I had tried in 99 uh, and it just it just didn't work. Uh, I didn't have a PhD, any kind of PhD. It didn't matter if it was a <laughs> you just had to have something that said you were an expert at something. And so, and I was going to try again, but after nine one one, it was just like I'm not going to do this. It doesn't interest me. And you know, the blogs came in, and con- yeah, the, the dot com bomb, and everything everything changed for me. And I was really scrambling uh, in a big way. So by the time I met my husband and we decided to go to D- Washington D.C., it was it was after the two thousand eight election cycle and it the the book was published before uh before the ad- i'm i I've, I've, I forget what the actual copyright is of it uh on Amazon, but it was sold to open road media, so there's two publishing dates. It's very confusing so anyway, that was published and then i i wanted to i wanted to you know. Put together my story from all the interviews, because I, I really, honestly, I went on a tear to interview people. I, I, in the 90s, I interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. I put myself in situations I probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have to, uh, to learn things about men, uh, especially when I was uh, managing editor at the Stripper site, the first site on the web to make money, let me add. <laughs> That was in 97, 98. It was quite an education, and it, and it led me into um, a, a pretty lucrative uh, content provider uh, era that um, landed with all of us crashing on the ground in the dot com bomb. But the book, the, the next book I, I, was, I got published by Padero, Padero Press, is entitled The Sexual Education of a Beauty Queen. Relationship secrets from the trenches. And the picture on the front is the day I was crowned Miss Missouri. It's a hilarious shot. Uh, <laughs> the, the false eyelashes are something else. But anyway, it, it was uh, the, a picture taken in Mexico, Missouri, the day I was crowned. I was in the Miss uh, America pageant. I was also in the Miss a Teenage America pageant, and I still can't believe I got Miss Friendship from there) <laughs> Patents were a way to augment my resume because I really wanted to go to college, and it, they helped get me there. So anyway, that's that story. But anyway, that's the reason uh, the picture on the front, because you have this beauty queen going into the trenches of the adult sex world, uh, as well as the relationship world. I was relationship co- consultant in the 90s to the largest, al- second largest alternative news weekly in L.A. So... Uh, I had a lot of things about relationships and about about how people relate to each other uh about why men do what they do and I really wanted to put it together. I won't read in the there's a there's a little bit in the beginning i'll read you at a different time how i um how i put together my family in one solid uh <laughs> paragraph or two because I wasn't ready to talk about it and this was a long this was you know, six years ago, this was uh, this book was uh, Beauty Queen, uh, uh, Sexual Education of a Beauty Queen was published in 2014. But the the chapter I'm going to read from is um, it's called God's Outdoors. It's it's part of a pattern I have across my life trying to make sense of who the heck I'm praying to and what is going on, and if they answer, who's they and who's answering. I, this is just the way my mind works. Uh, you can blame it on a lot of things, and we'll get into that someday. Anyway, the, Chapter 7, it is God's Outdoors is the title, God's Outdoors. Um, and I mean it as in God is outdoor, outdoors, not that God owns the outdoors. And, but that can be a second meaning, because God is outdoors. Uh, there's a reason that writers do so well if they make part of their life in a, a more secluded um, s- place where they can get out and walk or be around nature. It When you're dealing with things like um, creativity and meditation and trying to find that inner voice and that connection beyond what your religion gives you, I, I have experienced... Um, a certain amount of isolation, uh, and I really m- am able to tell the difference in my writing between when it's noisy and when it's not. And this this book, these two books, I wrote in Alexandria, Vi- Andri- Alex- sorry, Alexandria, Virginia, and it's l- it was long before I decided to f- to do fiction. I- and in fact, I said I absolutely wouldn't do fiction. I'm so silly, you know. This is this is what you need to know. Si- and I I don't say I, do, I won't do something, but fiction was just I mean it was just outlandish. Um, your dreams when you're young change. Wait until you get forty five fifty. There's a whole another life le- waiting for you. It's it's really remarkable. But anyway, I'm gonna start on this, and we're gonna I'm gonna try to. Uh, not stumble over, I ha- I do a, an immense amount of statistics in all my books, uh, my un- my two nonfiction books, so if I stumble, please bear with. Here we go, God's Outdoors, Chapter 7, in The Sexual Education of a Beauty Queen, Relationship Secrets from the Trenches. Organized religion and the men who run it have screwed things up for everyone else. If women had a 50-50 stake in the leadership, Ranks of all religious organizations, perhaps, quote-unquote, religiously unaffiliated, wouldn't be so popular. Religion has also not kept up with the times. Most of us still believe in something greater than ourselves, a belief in God, however it's defined. But more and more people are rejecting traditional religion, which is a very good sign for women as well as for our relationships. Considering the gender segregation in the overwhelming majority of organized religion, it's a miracle that women still seek out the church to have our wedding ceremonies. It really may no, makes no sense at all, except that there's something about the ritual, the singing, the ties to our roots, as well as the architecture of a great church that draws us back. Traditionally, many have been comforted by the by the guarantee of God's blessings, God's blessing to our unions, though modern people have realized that's absolutely no guarantee at all. Church architecture always seduces me because I cherish privately meditating inside a beautiful chapel. Even as far away as I have moved from traditional religious worship, that's one thing that remains a joy." Let's see, um, I'm going to skip forward here. Bear with me a second, I've got it marked. (laughs) Okay, so moving, uh, going on. A recent sobering reality is that lost, sorry, a recent sobering reality is that men lost three out of four jobs in the first two years of the great recession that started in 2007. The traditional world of our ancestors, a world that depends on organized religion's male-dominated foundation to survive, is gone. With modernity threatening the old ways, organized religion has become obsessed with political wrangling and enforcing rules that no longer resonate, with, with churches weighed down by scandals of all types. God's as relevant as ever. But how we convene with this force has forever changed, mostly out of necessity, because the old ways don't ring true anymore, especially for women. Organized religion is not currently prepared to support the world of today's liberated reality. The entire structure that has defined gender gender roles from the home to, to seats of power, from boardroom to the Senate, House, and White House, is supported by traditionally male leadership roles. It wasn't until October 2013 that Janet Yellen was nominated by President Barack Obama to be the first ever female Federal Reserve Chairman in United States history. The only way to change what organized religion has set up in our society is to replace ancient traditions that no longer apply with what empowers everyone, including places of worship that could become revitalized if they modernized. Spiritual is now the word heard more often than religious. The openness implied by spirituality also honors modernity and the way more people are living their lives. It respects the original craving for connection once experienced only through religion and the church. Spirituality has become the new modality. Prayer in its modern version is represented more and more through meditation. Whatever draws so many of us to organized religion at the start remains important. But the specific rules and regulations of organized religion are no longer of primary importance. All religions initially act as simple gateways to what lies beyond, which can only be excavated privately. Meditation offers a similar gateway in abundance. The benefits of excavating the mind and body connection through meditation go deeper than religiosity's reach. The possibility of discovering a broader philosophy that helps answer life's imponderables is irresistible to most. Though it can be accessed through a deity or holy book, we are finding wider reaches independently and beyond. Spiritual freedom changes forever our outlook on what once was the original glue of relationships and marriage, which came with designated roles that promise predetermined lives. Many now dare to imagine that God is outdoors. I think this is is particularly true of younger people. I think they they find uh, nature. I think climate change has also uh, made the earth change in our minds we we have we have plundered it for so long and we are in the age right before the, uh, a big shift in the cosmos the age of aquarius is upon us i think the the first hint of the age of, of aquarius begins in uh this next this march i think it's the 31st you'll have to check but uh the age of Aquarius, I think it's um, uh, end of March to maybe the middle of June. We get a hint of what's going to happen next year when the age of Aquarius is real and we're in it. This is the last gasp of what we've been through. And we're all going to have to fight a little harder uh, for what we want. You're going to be able to get it, but you're not going to be, you're going to have to, you're going to have to Uh, play by the rules, and work really hard, and you, and you, and if you make one error, and this applies to all of us, it's just not a forgiving time. Uh, The, you know, you have people in our government that are lying, but more than, three quarters of the population know it. It's just a matter of, of what's the alternative? And, and the mindfulness that I, I'm encouraging and that I practice, this is how we get through, uh, you know, to quit doing what we're doing to each other. The reason I write thrillers is because of what we do to each other, because this is the life we live. We're, we're, we're living in the 21st century, and structures are collapsing around us. The way we've known things, I mean, the... The way our relationships are put together is completely different today than it's ever been. And these and these these things are changing more and more as we go on. Uh, it's gonna keep changing because we are in we are shedding the old way of doing business. It's like what's going to happen in, in the next ten years, not only with climate and the way we go after climate, but what's going to happen in the next ten years. Uh, with uh, artificial intelligence. We all have to be aware of what is coming. Okay, let's see. um, I'm going to read a little bit more. Let me see where we can go here. (laughs) That a connection exists beyond any church or organized religion is a revelation to some. Even as most respect that the holy books were divinely inspired, We seek modern solutions and a more private path to ask timeless questions. We still crave a way to discover the mysteries of life, of God, but we want a more independent experience, one that doesn't include the oppressive male-centric hierarchy, which includes misogyny misogyny, and bigotry as well as politics that we can't reconcile with any empowering spiritual message that resonates. What does this mean for our relationships? We go on. I, I'm going to skip forward a bit. in nineteen In the 1950s, hold on a second. Um, in the 1950s, religion sanctified relationships and made them valid. Religion made people feel safe and protected in rough times, which remains a reason many still embrace it. My mother couldn't have survived without her faith and the first Christian church with her religiosity something she handed down to me, though I bucked the tradition from the start. Many people, including myself, have gravitated toward modern alternatives. New Age gurus and spiritual advisors have blasted onto the scene. These include people, teachings, and books that offer a more direct route, a personal path to mining spirituality without the dogma, pleas for cash, and the guilt that bears down from the most from most podiums in churches across the spectrum. People like Deepak Chopra, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, and many others offer alternatives to religion, which were featured regularly on Oprah Winfrey's talk show and now through her website, giving alternative spiritual roots credibility. The web has opened up avenues for questions to be asked and answered personally, freeing people from having to rely on our parents' pulpit. Meditation has has exploded among the spiritually curious and mystically adventurous, offering a private and very personal way to connect the mind and body with no outside interference or interaction. The process revolves around a simple technique that begins with quieting the mind and shutting off the tape playing in your head, as Dr. Wayne Dyer has referred to it for years. With people learning to calm their emotions through meditation, the practice has caught fire, replacing prayer and bringing creativity and unlimited possibilities with it. I got to I got to stop for a minute. I have to tell you and I always repeat that phrase over and over when I get nervous. I I've, I've been uh, noticing this <coughs> when I speak. And it, and so I'm going to try to just tell you what <laughs> what I want to instead of uh, babbling about it. This is really a shock. I haven't read this book since I published it, or since Padero Press published it, handed over to the publisher. I mean, you don't go back and read your own books because it's cringeworthy. Uh, you find some you find things that uh, you don't feel anymore that you would change, and. The one thing that I will say about this is when it says bringing creativity and unlimited possibilities with it, that is what I have discovered in the last four years after this was written. In fact, I couldn't have dreamed what I discovered the last four years when I was writing this book. Or the other art, the many other articles I've written on faith back in the '90s. This is really something. This is foreshadowing in my own life, and I'm reading it. Oh, this is weird. <laughs> See, this podcast is. Um, I, I promised myself I, I would try not to. I well, obviously, I plan it every time. I have a- I have notes and everything, and. Then I start talking and in the middle of talking, I get downloads and the subject matter gets hijacked and I go somewhere else. And this is one of those times that I didn't get a download, I got a, a lesson from, my f- from a book from my past. And, and the reason I did these 2 nonfiction books, or started there, is because I had to tie up what I knew before I could go for- further beyond what I where I'd been. And little did I know that these two books would close off my nonfiction career and what would come after it after we left Virginia, once we hit Maryland, is my fiction career. Which is this is this is a mind <laughs> this is blowing my mind. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I hope you I'm making sense as I share it. This is what creativity is about. You're writing one thing years ago, and then when you read it back, you figure out that, um, yeah, I guess this is serendipity and synchronicity um, uh, linking up. But the, the, the thing about both of those two phenomenons is it's private. And it all just happened in this moment, so I can explain it in the moment. And these are signposts, cosmic signposts. They're they're cosmic things that happen that really mean nothing. I mean, when I wrote this, it means it it, it didn't mean it, it it didn't mean what you know what the characters I write about now, this, the psychic profiler, Dr. Kate Winter. Uh, these these words didn't mean anything until I created Dr. Kate Winter which happened in 2019. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anyway, where am I? Uh, Meditation has exploded. Uh, Yeah, the possibilities, and here we go. I lost my place. Can you tell? This is anxiety right here. This is what it looks like. Can you imagine when I was performing and all this came out? It was not pretty. Anyway, the behavior of organized religion's hierarchy Hierarchy makes me truly sad for all those people who attend church every Sunday, especially the women. The gender power segregation isn't the fault of regular churchgoers, which I have been most of my life. But any spiritual person looking for answers to the great mysteries of existence should at least question the relevance of religious organizations that practice the maxim that women aren't allowed to lead and stand with the men who have always run the church. I guess I should introduce you to our rescue bird, since she has decided to wake up and start squawking. That's our rescue bird, Tweety, if you hear her. Sorry. As defined by 20th century norms that have been blown to smithereens, religion is a female's worst enemy because the entire structure is laid out against us. It's not an accident that the church's traditional gender roles and power structure have been mimicked throughout our capitalistic, political, and economic history. In most religions, women women who crave connection to God actually need men as conduits because we are seen as unworthy and unequal to men in the church's mind, in the church's mind, doctrine, and tradition— It's this same structure that gives men power over women, which in underdeveloped nations around the world, men are using to control, abuse, torture, and kill women and girls. Like I said, this was uh, published in 2014, and it's a discussion I've been having my whole life. And once I got into, uh, finished with the book, it took a while before I really decided that I wanted to try to craft stories. I didn't know how to jump into it. And in 2015, everything really shifted in, in my life uh, in a big way. And I was in Maryland, and Maryland has been, um, it has been really a fertile place to explore my creativity I once I got into Maryland I I, I'll have to tell you it started long before that there was a time in my life when I was living in Los Angeles when I became obsessed with the Chesapeake Bay it just kept popping up this was part of when I was meditating and I got this notion of the Chesapeake Bay and then when I got into Maryland I didn't think (laughs) this is really embarrassing I didn't, I didn't think the Chesapeake Bay was in Maryland. I had no idea it was in Maryland. How embarrassing is that? That's how little I knew. I knew Virginia because I had lived there once before. Uh, I, li- I had lived in Manassas, Virginia, when I was traveling ac- across the country in a dinner theater show When I land- on the way I landed in New York. That's how I got to be in Belmar uh, and ended up in New York is because the dinner theater show Went from uh, St. Louis, and we ended up across the country. Well, one of the places was Manassas, so I'd been in Virginia before, so this was the second time I'd lived in Virginia. But once I got to Maryland, and a lot of things happened, I won't bore you <laughs> with everything. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Uh, I, 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 my f- my husband said, "This is you just have to do it." And I told him the the that independent authors they're lucky to make 12 grand a year until they get 10 years in and you've got a bunch of books you need a bunch of books to make $60,000 or above and you need to keep remarketing and it's it's a long long struggle so we are we knew it would be difficult but we were going to do the publishing company anyway and i've got to tell you this is this is there i go again i've got to tell you I'm sorry. I'll, I'll wean myself of that. It's funny when I was doing my radio show, back in the day, I didn't have this trouble because I wasn't talking about anything personal. But I am the worst when it comes to my own my own process and the messiness of how I got to fiction. And I'm 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 hoping that I can make. I'm hoping this makes some sense to you. But there was something about. Maryland, once I decided to do the fiction and, and my husband said, do it, this is what you're supposed to be doing, I had no idea that it would lead in the direction it did. Now, when I was a little girl, young girl, I should say, my mother admitted to me that she was, that, sh- that she had psychic feelings. I didn't know what that meant at 15, but she wouldn't talk about it any further. She, she had introduced a danger in my life, and she said, this is dangerous, this person is dangerous, you need to be careful, and you shouldn't do X. Now, the reason this was a big deal is because shouldn't do X is something my mother never said to me. She just never did. She didn't. She didn't have to. I was a very self-disciplined child, so she told me to. She told me to do one thing, and well, the church was the big thing. But she gave me a piece of advice uh, about what I, an elective I should take in school, and she said, "Please, I know you're going to be a. I know you're going to be a, a big success, but take typing anyway, just in case." That's the way women. F- Thank God she said that to me. I wouldn't have been able to become a writer if I didn't wasn't able to do a keyboard. Uh, back in the 90s, I wouldn't have had that break if I hadn't taken that simple that simple class and gotten gotten g- efficient at it. And so it is it is very interesting to go back through this and read this book and think about being in Maryland and then just being becoming obsessed with the Chesapeake Bay, and and discovering that it was in Maryland. And I thought, where did I get the idea it wasn't in Maryland? Because I I knew nothing about Maryland. I'm I'm really interested in foreign affairs and foreign policy, but obviously when it comes to the United States, even though I've traveled over uh, all of it and gone back and forth across the country in a car more than once and lived a billion places here, I didn't know the Chesapeake Bay was in Maryland. Well, one of the things I discovered is the draw I had to the climate, the rural nature of it, which is very much like Missouri, but also the the darkness around the 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 waterways and the the rivers and the 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 far off shores uh, that um, that are uh, up against, that run up against the Chesapeake Bay and all the tributaries. And I started taking long drives, and at night, uh, at, uh, you know, at sunset, and going on these drives and getting this, because I've always been drawn to shadow work. Um, I've always uh, been drawn to uh, drawing characters. My first two books, th- they're thrillers, But I tried to make them a little bit of romance because I really didn't know what kind of fiction I could write, what was authentic to me. I I couldn't figure it out. So I tried to hit, well, actually, I tried to do my very favorite thing, which is cliffhangers. And my first book was um, a a very graphic romance-type thriller because I thought... The first thing I want to try is something that I know was big and I was thinking Jackie Collins and all this. And it took me a while before I really realized that I was really uh, writing about the mental, uh, the psychological machinations of of what we put ourselves through, but also when you're not well. Because I have been not well mentally. Uh, I was a predator. In the 80s, I was a predator when I was a teenager and in my 20s. And I, when I mean predator, I mean I was uh, after men. Just, it was terrible. I was awful. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily want to have sex with them. I just wanted to play. And it was, I, I tried to, all my feminine wiles, like young women always do, but I, I didn't want the marriage side of it. I just wanted the adventure side. And so I tried to put that in the book. And through the, I kept meditating, and then I just got this, after I did these two books, they hated The Cliffhanger. I got creamed in the reviews for The Cliffhanger. It didn't, I was like, well, of course there's going to be a sequel. Isn't that obvious? And when people on uh, Facebook and Goodreads said, no, it's not obvious, so I went in and did something in the back and tried to make it obvious, but they still hated it. And the real thing was, the romance part was just, kind of tacked on, and I was a thriller writer because what I've explained before, because my entire life has been a thriller. I don't know from safety until I I met the man who put uh, that married me. And I, I gave him all the warning possible, but you know how that goes. When you meet your soulmate and you recognize each other, you know you're in the world to do something. What you don't know is the cost of your dreams, and you don't have to be 20, and I'm telling you, in, in this day and age, you will need something beyond a 20-year marriage and children to stay together. You will need to create some kind of life together, something that you create together that isn't children, that is something else, and that is the magic of our relationship, my husband and mine because we really want to shake up our corner of the world. And the way I want to do this is to tell you there is a better way to be whole than what we've found so far. And when you're on the road to finding it, as long as you just keep trying the meditations, keep trying to find the silence, ask the question, keep with the same question, and listen you've been listening to sacred to psychic i'm taylor marsh you can reach me at www.taylormarsh.com and remember it's not fate it's your choices